All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Monday, August 22nd of 2022. Thank you for tuning into the stream here today. I hope you all had a great weekend, ready to get back at it here this week. If it is your first time tuning into the stream, welcome. Uh, or listening to the podcast, or, or however else uh, you've managed to get here today. My name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. Uh, and on this show, I answer questions from the SaberSim community about how to better use our tools to build DFS lineups. So uh, your questions drive the conversation on this show here. If you have questions for me that you would like me to answer, uh, YouTube chat is a great way to uh, post those questions. The Office Hours channel in our Slack community is another great way uh, to get your questions answered. And finally, uh, especially if you catch the recording of this or the podcast, uh, email is certainly fine as well. Support at sabersim.com. Let the support team know you want the question answered on the show and, and it will be. So we have a busy day in front of us here on stream. We have a lot of questions uh, to get into, a lot uh, that has come in through the weekend. Uh, a couple questions about late swap, uh, pitcher exposures, one-offs, um, stack exposure, smart randomness, NFL and NBA showdown strategy, uh, Saber score, all kinds of different stuff here. So uh, we'll just go ahead and start uh, knocking these out one by one here. Uh, before we get started, a uh, couple quick notes, at least on the the, the baseball slate tonight here. Um, keep an eye on the weather, uh, as particularly this New York game. Um, I know Kevin Roth says here um, that it's basically like a non-issue, that yeah, it's going to rain in the afternoon, but uh, should even out by the end of the day. I do believe that is a bit of a contentious take. I actually think for all of these uh, East Coast games here, um, I, it seems like, you know, I've seen elsewhere uh, that that there are people saying that these these rain games are actually a lot more potentially rainy uh, than Kevin Roth is letting on. The good news is, is all being the East Coast games, they are all the first games of the slate. Uh, so we should have a pretty clear idea, I would say, as Locke approaches about what's going on there. But definitely something to keep an eye on because Roth seems to think... <clears throat> And I trust Kevin Roth most of the time uh, that that the rain here isn't too big of a deal. But I have I have seen reports that that it is expected to just rain like basically into the late afternoon and into the evening on those games. Um, so we will see. Um, but Sheets says I'm going to the game. Uh, Mrs. Sheets is not in agreement with Roth Roth on this. Yeah, I know. I and I've heard the same thing that like there is. I, I think there are and maybe I mean he mentions here. Um, you know, in this tweet, Yankees Twitter seems fairly convinced tonight's game is a rainout, um, and and that's kind of what put me onto this. Seeing this tweet at first, and then I looked around a little bit, and I was like, man, it really does look like it could rain. So, um, and obviously, you know, even if it is just one of these games, you have two high total teams in the Braves and the Phillies, uh, and Scherzer's on the mound for the Mets. So, uh, games that people are almost certainly going to be targeting here. So, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and start answering some questions. Um, so. Uh, first one, this is from Bill. This came in on Saturday morning. Uh, and let me get the question pulled up here. Whoops. Clicked on Eamon's, Eamon's uh, message. We'll get to yours here in a minute. Uh, this one says, I'm curious what your thoughts are on managing pitcher exposure. Uh, do you like to do all of it after the build or some curation before? I find myself eliminating a lot of them before the build, but I'm not sure that's the best decision. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's up to you. Really, I mean, that's the honest answer. It depends on kind of your individual process. So I would say 
best practice, and this is true, this isn't even just a pitcher thing, this isn't just a baseball thing, if you've already made your decision, if your mind is made up on what pitchers you are willing to play in your lineups, let us know beforehand, right? Um, especially if you are getting pitchers, if you if you are Xing out pitchers that are generally well projected, right? Like, if you've decided, hey, I'm not going to play any, uh, I don't know, Cole Reagans or something like that, or down here at the bottom, which I realize you guys can't probably see very well. Well, he's projected. He's not projected for that well. You're probably not going to get a ton of him anyway. If you're making like a stand and you're saying, I'm completely fading uh, Julio Urias or something like that, right? You're, you're probably going to get some of him in your lineups, right? The advantage you get out of Xing these guys out before the build is that you don't waste those lineups after the build, right? Like when you build here, if you're building these, you know, and say you're building 1500 lineups, right? And in your 1500 lineups, you're going to get 25% of them are going to have Julio Urias in them. Well, by, by including him in your pool and building them, you're just, you're basically, you know, like making your effective pool size smaller because there's lineups that you know you're just going to eliminate anyway. So I know with pitchers in particular, there are some people out there that like to curate a pool. They know what pitchers they're willing to play in their contests anyway. If if you are that person, um, then then you should eliminate them beforehand. So you're not just building dead lineups that are dead to you as soon as the build is done. Now for me, I don't really think about it that way. I, I at least initiate my builds for every single slate that I'm playing with the willingness to play virtually anyone. Um, so I don't do a lot of curation on the, the front end here, right. Uh, uh, on the, before the build, um, I will go in and start building my lineups and, you know, say this is just a 20 max and then do a lot of my editing as a way of managing risk, or maybe taking a stand on one or two guys or something like that in the post build process. Right. Uh, where, you know, it may just end up being that I eliminate a particular pitcher or cap my exposure or force some exposure to somebody else. But because I wasn't opinionated in that way before I ran the build, I'm not going to do it now. Now, you know, there's there's also a bit of kind of a hybrid approach here. And th that probably the best of both worlds is is some kind of hybrid hybridized approach where you don't make any adjustments to start. Right? You run a build with everybody in your pool. That will give you a better idea of what the slate looks like as a whole, what, what different options are. And then if you find yourself taking some stands in here, especially if you're making a lot of adjustments in the post-build phase, then maybe you go back uh, to the beginning here and, and make some adjustments there. Right? Um, you know, For example, maybe you're, you're going in here and like you are doing all kinds of uh, stuff here. Maybe you're capping your, maybe you're capping your hitting exposures, right? And you're saying, I don't want any more than 40% of a hitter. And you're doing all of this, you know, right? Typical, this is kind of like typically a lot of times what my, my kind of my baseline process looks like, right? You're capping some exposures. Uh, maybe you're editing your stack types. Uh, you're doing that. And then you get around to looking at your pictures and maybe we're looking and we're trying to find an angle on this slate. And we decide, let's see if we can find an angle here quickly. Let's see. Um, we look at our pool exposures here. And maybe we decide that we, I don't know, that we want to, that we do want to fade Urias. I don't know, just as an example, right? And we're Xing him out. Well, one thing we could do there, right? Oh, that's not what I meant to do. I don't even understand what just happened. Um, you know, then at that point, we could come back to the projections tab here, especially if you were running out of lineups, right? At that point, you were getting the message that we couldn't, uh, 
couldn't match exposures or something like that, may, then maybe you come back and edit your pitcher pool a little bit more from there. So anyway, kind of long-winded answer, short version of this. For me personally, I do most of my stuff on the post-build because I don't walk into any given slate most of the time being super opinionated about a pitching pool. If you are opinionated about a pitching pool that you want to play, you know there are guys that you don't want to see in your lineups at all, you're probably better off letting us know beforehand. Uh, and some combination, some hybridized approach is probably best there. I would run, even if you are opinionated about a build, about what pitchers you want, it might be a good idea to just run a build to start without doing that. See who you're getting. It might put you onto somebody that you didn't realize, uh, or maybe like give it an opportunity to kind of double check your stance there, uh, but then come back to here and, and make the adjustments to your pitcher pool there. So um, not really a wrong way to do that for sure. Um, okay, this brings us to a few questions uh, from David here. Uh, this is specifically about late swap, quick swap in baseball, and even more specifically, I would say, about the Saturday slate, the Saturday early slate, uh, where we had a bit of a weather conundrum here. But uh, David said, I'm curious what your thoughts... Oh, whoops, that's not the right one. Let's start over here. Let's get the right question in here. Um, all right. On the early slate on Saturday, uh, the Milwaukee Chicago game scheduled for 220 had a rain delay announced around 2 p.m. Peralta was my highest exposed pitcher. Several questions. If I want to fade the game completely, is it best to uncheck the team boxes on the projections page? After that, then what? I tried to late swap, uh, but I ended up in a loop asking to run without exposures. Even after I said no, it kept rebuilding lineups uh ad infinitum. Uh, I canceled. And did a massive quick swap. I ended up with 70% Rasmussen. Uh, I would have liked to have smoothed that out among the other starting pitchers on the slate who hadn't started yet, such as limiting Rasmussen to 50% and increasing the min exposure of a Wacha to 25%. Is there a way to set exposures doing a quick swap or late swap? Good questions. Uh, I also saw, I don't know if you're watching this right now, David, but uh, hopefully you are, or hopefully you at least catch this. It looked like you ended up having a pretty decent slate, which I know process over results. Uh, we'll answer the question anyway, but um, there was a moment like, towards the end of the slate where it looked like all of those Rasmussen lineups were like dominating uh, at, at like the minimax and stuff like that, which I guess works out pretty cool. Yeah. So I was in the same, same boat though, right? Uh, at least on DraftKings, um, we got, we got the rain delay and then Kevin Roth updated his report pretty close to this game starting, um, changed it to orange on his color coded system. I got off this game. Um, okay. So first of all, a couple things to note, if you are getting in that loop, the message where you are, you're running your late swap build. So Actually, let me let me start over here. Let me let me let me start over. Uh, I've had too long to think about this question. I've been preparing my answer all weekend, and now I'm getting all jumbled up. So anyway, yes, I think the best way if you've decided if you are mid slate and you've decided you are fading an entire game for weather, I did the exact same thing. I think the best way to do that is to use these, which will just immediately um, remove all those players from your pool. You'll probably if you have an entries file live, you'll probably see this turn red as well. If you have players from those games, then you can go from there. Uh, so. The next steps, um, what I would do in most situations here, because that's going to have a pretty profound effect on your lineups, is try to avoid quick swapping and try to instead late swap. Uh, what I think, at least for baseball in particular, is best practice there would be to turn on the late swap. I don't have an entries file here loaded in, um, but what I would do... Per, again, this is me personally. I would also then turn on the toggle to say late swap only lineups without players, right? That's going to take every player where you have at least one guy from this game and rebuild that lineup completely. And that's going to give you an opportunity to like kind of fix your stacks and things like that and make sure your new lineups are correlated and things like that. Now, if you get into actually another note I should make on that real quickly. 
these exposures that you see on this projections tab will be honored as best as we can in that late swap build. So if you came over here then and said, you know, I don't want, I want to make sure I'm not like crazy over the top with Rasmussen, you can set 50% here. And you can set 25% to, to uh, Waka, Washa, whatever. And we'll we'll do our best to honor those. When I say we'll do our best, the reason I'm saying that is because in a late swap build, we only rebuild the exact number of lineups you have. So in a typical build, we have all these different lineups to work with. And it's very easy to meet a lot of exposures, especially if you have a ton of exposure set. Um, we, we will do our best. They will be treated as kind of a guideline. Uh, and most of the time we will hit the exposures, but sometimes it won't be exact. But it, it we will listen to this. And this is new. Uh, it is worth saying since since our entry editor and uh, late swap kind of mini overhaul that came out, I would say early in the summer, um, these exposures in your projections tab are now listened to when you run a late swap build, right? So that that is kind of a new thing. So if you've been using Saberson for a while, which I think in this case David has, that might be new. Um, anyway, you run a late swap build. You should be good to go. If you start getting into the situation where you're seeing the message saying, we can't meet your lineups, right? You can't meet your exposures. Almost always what's at, and, and especially if you hit yes, keep rebuilding and you still get that message. I would say 95% of the time what's happening is it is a salary issue. It is a min salary issue. Um, I ran into this issue this weekend and that's what it was for me. I think I would say it is Almost just easier, in my opinion, personally, to just set min salary equal to zero when you're running a late swap period, um, or at least reduce it like significantly just to avoid that ever happening in the first place, right? In a late swap, most like most of the, your, your options are limited, right? And like, while maybe yes, on a main build, you want to have most of your lineups be 48,000 or above or 49,000 or above or whatever your own personal min salary line is. When you are trying to emergency get out of a weather game, and it's either keeping players in that you think is going to get postponed, the game's going to get postponed, which it didn't. I know it didn't, um, but it, it wasn't looking good for this game. Uh, when when you're coming up to the situation of like, hey, do I either play a lineup at 47,000 or do I not swap? The answer is always you want to swap, right? So I would say just, just lower your min salary. That should fix most of those problems. So um, the last note on this, and I probably should have mentioned it a second ago, is that when you quick swap, these exposures are not listened to. We're going to quick swap. Right. That's this is only for when you're running basically a build. Uh, are these exposures honored? So if you quick swap, you will not follow those exposures. So um, anyway, kind of short answers here. Yes, Xing out the teams is the best way to remove a whole game, to fade a whole game during a slate. Um, the exposures will be listened to here in the build, provided you are running a late swap build. Um, if you run into issues when you are running that late swap build, I would set your min salary equal to zero. And then there's another question here um, as well um, from David here. Um, okay. In a similar respect, suppose I didn't want to fade the game completely. Is there a way to reduce exposures during a quick swap or late swap? For example, I had 35% Peralta. Could have reduced him to 15% after the slate started. So I had some exposure to him despite the weather risk. Update. I ended up taking, yeah, here it is. Third, fifth, and sixth. Uh, tied with me. That's why I saw you there in the mini max. Overall, it was my best MOB slate of the season. Go figure. Yeah, it happens that way sometimes. It certainly does. Um, so that's uh, that's great. But anyway, yes. Um, I mean, yeah, you can absolutely. So if you wanted to just reduce exposure, right? In that case, you wouldn't want to X the game completely necessarily, right? Uh, but maybe you like look here, right? 
And you could do something like, so you're, you're, you're feeling less confident about this game all of a sudden, right? Um, you could do something like, you know, maybe 10% max of either pitcher, right? Whoops. 10, something like that. And then you could go to the batters too and do like, I don't know, 10% for them as well. And just set all these max exposures and then rebuild your lineups. Uh, in that case, since you're not marking anybody out, you would want to late swap with the late swap everything, not just lineups without players. Um, and your exposure should be listened to then in that case. So yes, that's another option. But um, okay, cool. Keep it going. And I know there are some questions coming in in YouTube chat. I will get to those here shortly. I'm going to start with all of these questions that came in in Slack over the weekend first. So this was another one from Bill. Uh, if you run a build with a pool of 1,500 lineups and have 0% of a team stack, Miami Miami on Saturday for me, uh, is it then reasonable to remove the one-off players from that team? My thought is that if Saberson sees them as essentially a non-viable team, their individual players are not likely to be optimal. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily like follow you there. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I agree necessarily with that assumption, right? That like, if stack is not non-viable, then individual players are non-viable, right? Like, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't necessarily think that's like a valid assertion. Um, I mean, it, it, the, you could see that probably like often with like any low total teams, right? Like let's take Texas tonight, right? I, I would say Texas, you're, you're probably not extremely... Actually, you know what? Let's use the extreme example, right? We'll take the Yankees up against Scherzer. The Yankees have a three and a half run total. I don't know necessarily that you'll get zero stacks if you build lineups, but I would assume that it's it's like hard to get Yankee stacks here tonight, assuming that they also with they're pretty expensive, right? They're up against the, the best pitcher on the slate. You're, you're probably not going to get a ton of Yankee stacks, but like you obviously have, you know, whole, you have like home run equity in Judge and Rizzo and like LeMahieu and, and Donaldson, right? Like there are one-offs that are clearly viable here. Um, you could even take like a, a team that isn't as good like Miami, right? Even though up against Adam Aller tonight might, might be a good stack. Um, even if they weren't, right? I mean, there's still also home run equity in like a guy like Aguilar or Brian Anderson or Joey Wendell or something like that, right? Or there's like one-off viability. Now, I mean, if you've made a decision that because a team isn't viable to stack, you want to consolidate your exposures and also play one-offs, like want to play a more consolidated pool where your one-offs are also full from the players that are on the teams that you're stacking elsewhere and other lineups. Like that's, that's fine. At that point, that's more of a risk tolerance thing. That's more of like a personal strategy where you're saying that like, you know, you want to, you're almost doubling down on some of those stands. I don't think this is necessarily like an assumption that I would treat as like a golden rule or anything like that. Um, Cause I think, you know, for me, I, as somebody that often finds myself trying to spread out and to diversify as much as possible, I think one of the best ways to like do that would be to potentially have some one-off exposure or small stack exposure to teams that you're otherwise not like largely stacking. So um, yeah, I mean, the one thing to remember here, and I think, I think this is like, this is, I, I think this is an important thing to just keep in the back of your mind when you're thinking about what your lineups are and what, what makes up your lineups is that a stack is descriptive, right? Like a stack is a way to describe a lineup. It's, sh it's shorthand for saying I have 
three or four or five players from the same team or whatever, right? But at the end of the day, you're you're ultimately you're building a lineup of players, right? Of of individual players. So like saying that I don't have any lineups that have two plus players from a given team doesn't really say anything about the viability of individual players from that team when you think about it from that lens. Because it's almost like, it's almost just like a, I don't know, a circular argument at that point. Like, oh, I don't have any lineups where Aguilar is paired with at least other one other Marlin. So therefore I'm going to fade Aguilar, right? Like you kind of, you kind of follow me here. So I, I, I don't, I don't think I would agree necessarily there um, in terms of like a strategic rule to follow again, as a way to condense your player pool. Fine. Um, but I probably wouldn't agree as like, as, a, as, as like with, with the rule there. So. Um, Nipsey had a suggestion here, um, about stack ownership. This is something that's on our radar. He said in the team section where stack exposure is, uh, can the team add a column for stack ownership and stack leverage? I feel like this would help tremendously. Thanks. Yeah. So that is, that is something we plan to do. Um, just kind of a tricky thing. Like it's calculating stack ownership is kind of weird. Um, it's on our radar. The reason it's weird is because like, it's easy to calculate third base ownership because you know that everybody has to play a third baseman in every lineup. So you can just sum all these to hundred percent. I know there's some weirdness with like multi-positional eligibility, but it's generally pretty easy to solve that problem. Uh, or pitchers actually is the best example, right? You take the sum of all the pitching ownerships and it should be 200% because you have to play two pitchers on DraftKings. Makes it pretty easy. Stacking's weird uh, because it is not, again, it is, it is a way to describe a lineup. It's not something that one has to do. Uh, in fact, the fact, the reason that, Part of the reason we have an edge in baseball is because there are still plenty of people that don't stack, but it is difficult to quantify what percentage of lineups in a given contest are going to stack. So then when you're assessing stack ownership, it gets tricky. Most people out there that are stack, um, that are doing stack ownership uh, are just assuming that every lineup has a stack in it, which is like a decent assumption, at least as a way to kind of relatively compare and find leverage and things like that. But anyway, that's the long-winded answer for why it's not something that has just popped right up into the app um, because figuring out how we want to actually structure that and do that. Um, it's just been something we're, we're kind of kicking around. So, but yes, uh, I think it would be very helpful as well. Um, in it to bink it asks a question about smart randomness said, can you uh, briefly explain how smart randomness works for the soccer optimizer uh, is one rank equivalent to 10%. I don't know the details of what the algorithm is uh, on a practical level. What it does is you can think about it as essentially adjusting the standard deviation of a normal distribution. So for sports, we don't have Sims, right? Um, Soccer included here. Uh, You will see that the slider for smart, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought, for uh, Sim Precision is called now Smart Randomness. Um, You are essentially adjusting the the uh, standard deviation of a normal distribution around whatever you set the mean at. Again, I don't know what, actually each bucket is and i noticed this tooltip is showing here now which is actually incorrect um i think you can roughly assume that it is like a linear scale as you've described i can't necessarily say that it's 10 20 30 or something like that um but it is supposed to be roughly linear 
Uh, and I would say that probably the best advice I can give is to just experiment with it um, and to try that at different settings uh, and see what you are comfortable with in terms of your, your diversification. Um, but, um, and then another question here, um, about stacking rules here. This is from the lens of soccer, but I will answer it generally because I can, uh, the question says also, have I set up two stacking rules for soccer, at least three players from the same team, forward defenseman, goalkeeper, and at least two players from the same team, forward midfielder, defenseman, utility Would this force two independent stacks, or since technically they could both be satisfied by the same, uh, combination. Could this happen? Anytime you set stacks in Sabersim, now I, I should preface this by saying our stacking and grouping rules section of the app will be changing here. I would say almost certainly within the next month, it's going to get way more powerful, way more robust and way easier to use, but it is going to change. Um, but in the meantime, uh, if you set two different rules, they will both be satisfied independently. Right? They will not. They cannot be satisfied by the same rule. So a very good example of that is if you say I want at least five and at least three in baseball, you will get a hundred percent five three stacks. The three stack is not satisfied by the five stack. In other words, so if you have independent rules in your in your settings, they will be they will be satisfied independently from one another, and that is true for all sports. So, good question. Um, Okay, another question here from MJ ML Joni. I almost read that as MJ Money. Uh, hi Jordan. Uh, hope you are well. I got a question on NBA. Uh, wow. Uh, not I guess N NBA and NFL showdowns. I thought this was going to be our first NBA question uh, of the uh, not necessarily the year, I suppose, but of the summer. Um, but NBA and NFL showdowns. We're doing a lineup study of winning lineups for the 2021-2022 season. I noticed both formats had players like NBA, for example, that had lower minutes projection and a player got extended run or in NFL, a player got more targets because of another's injury. Would Sabersim uh, ever get to those players in simulations or would you basically have to force those players into your lineup to get exposure? Uh, I'm going to answer this with a very conditional, it depends. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we do with our models uh, is that for for opportunity, there is variance in a player's opportunity, right? So in basketball, for example, there will be a minutes projection for a given player, but there is minutes variance in individual sims. So if we go pull up a random basketball slate, um, maybe one, can't use summer league, but maybe January 12th, um, which I'll tell you what, I'm kind of getting excited for NBA DFS. I know that sounds silly with football kicking off here in like two weeks, right? But uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm getting kind of excited for basketball. Um, anyway, so we have these minutes projections, right? This is a mean from the Sims, right? So we say Jalen Brown averaged 36 minutes on this particular night. There is some variance there, right? There's going to be Sims, whether it's because of foul trouble um, or, or the way that the game script works in that particular Sim where he plays 32 minutes or 40 or something like that, right? There's variance there. Um, however, that is only true up to a certain point. Um, we have on this random sim here, uh, Al Farouk, Al Aminu for Boston, who has zero minutes and 0, 0.0 projection and never gets in the game in any sim, right? We are, we are treating him, we are treating it as he will never play. He is not in the rotation. So when you're talking about things like basketball showdown here, both things kind of matter. 
right? And I think this is why one of the one of the things I do I talk about when I'm talking about basketball showdown strategy uh, in some of the the old videos on our YouTube channel and stuff like that, right? Is that the Sims are are very helpful up to a certain point, right? Where you know you will probably get some exposure to Alfonso McKinney for this particular showdown because we have him projected and an average projected uh, an optimizer using average projections is like never going to give you this guy, but he's going to have his moments in, in our Sims where he, you know, gets onto the court and plays enough minutes and, and scores eight or 10 fantasy points and, and gets there. Right. But here's another perfect example where Bruce Brown in this game played, you know, a few minutes and got 6.75 actual points and we didn't even expect him to play at all. Right. So it kind of goes both ways. I would say when you're looking for, for basketball in particular, um, if you really want to dive deep into basketball showdown, study the rotations and look at the way that we project the minutes, which again, we, we have, we have a like over redundant minutes model. Basically we pull in kind of uh, different minutes projections from a ton of different sources. We have a little bit of a manual review process there that takes place. And overall, I would say we, we, we feel very confident about our minutes projections, but there's going to be things we're going to miss, right? Like clearly in this, this random game, like something, there was something led to Bruce Brown getting some run in this game, right? He was out there. So looking and, and making sure that you agree with the overall minutes projection and then adding a projection to a player that you think might have the opportunity to get some run in the game is a great way to add some value to Saberson. Um, and that's, I mean, that's also true. You can, you can apply that to NFL as well, right? I think NFL, um, well, I don't know. Let me, let me just pull up a random game here. Okay. So random game here. Um, I mean, I think the same is probably true for NFL, right? Um, you know, especially, especially when you're talking about the guys that aren't even projected, right? Like it, the, the one thing I think is we'll do a better job picking up just like that players can get into the game period, right? Like there will, there will be in general for a random football game, I would say a lot more players at the bottom that are projected for just like a non-zero amount of points, which will allow them to get in the game. But you're still going to have situations here where, you know, Trent, oh no, that's not a good example. That's ownership, right? Where there might be a player that, that like ended up getting some snaps that we just didn't expect. And I think that can be another thing if you're studying uh, the way that these teams play and, and that particular game that week, adding a projection to one of these players can be a good way to add some value. Um, finally, though, the last thing I really want to make a point on is that we don't project injuries at all. Not, not, not at the moment. It's something we've talked about. I think there's actually some, I think there's some actually some interesting modeling that you can do in terms of trying to project injuries or at least uh, injury probability based on the position they play. There's a lot of interesting research out there about like, how does the position a player plays? How does their overall size? How does their overall injury history? How does their uh, snap count, all of that thing play into how likely they are to get injured, but they are still very random. Um, that is one thing that we are, not currently projecting. And I think it's somewhat difficult to like figure out exactly how to handle that. Right. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, if we look, so for this particular game, right, we have Josh Jacobs projected for essentially a full workload. Right. Um, if we go and look at, I don't know, Jalen Richard's projection, right. This, this is not, this is not Jalen Richard's range of outcomes taking into account that Josh Jacobs could get injured. Right. This is Jalen Richard's range of outcomes, assuming that Josh Jacobs has a 0% chance of getting injured. So 
Injuries are tough. I think, you know, there's there's always there's like one showdown slate a year where the starting quarterback goes down on the first drive and the backup comes in, becomes optimal. And some random dude in in the hundred and fifty thousand lineup contest has him as the captain. Right. The the, the Marcus Mariota slate uh, is like the classic example um, where Mariota ended up being like the optimal MVP on FanDuel and, and somebody won the the, the big contest with a, a, a single bullet or something with Mariota captain, right? Um, I think projecting injuries is hard. At the moment, the model's not doing it. I think you can take your your shots on it if if you think there's some viability there. Um, but I think I, I think it's tough to do. So um, anyway, I feel like I rambled a lot on this question here. Let me make sure I actually like covered this. Um, yeah, so I guess the kind of the wrapping up this question, the, the, the short answer is that we, we do... You know, there's uncertainty to the opportunities that players will get in our Sims, right? Football and basketball will project minutes. And, you know, then in a given Sim, they can play a little more. They can play a little less. Same thing here, right? We'll project, you know, um, let's see. What we've got Josh Jacobs projected for, uh, you know, 16.95 rushing attempts. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less in individual Sims, but we're not projecting injuries and we're not projecting significant deviations there, right? Like there's probably almost no Sims where Josh Jacobs gets one carry, right? Or same thing down here. Uh, if we go to Jalen Richard, he's projected for 1.86 carries. There's probably no Sims where he gets 18 carries, right? Those, those significant outlier events, like like far off of what even is like their 99th percentile that would typically require an injury or something very unexpected to happen in the game is not really captured there. So um, anyway. Uh, okay, let's keep it going. Let's see. Uh, Nipsey also said a uh, follow-up for my previous suggestion would be great to sort my pool of lineups by a range of saber score. For example, I have a one of my 150 set to be in a range of saber score between 97 and 85. Thanks. Um, this, this question comes up. Sometimes this request comes up and I don't really get it. Frankly, I don't think there is any value to you to arbitrarily cap your own saber scores, Right. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with adjusting your lineups in the post-build process here uh, to manage your risk or to take stands or to do anything like that. And if you end up playing lineups whose Sabre scores start at 97 and then go from 97 to 85, so be it. But I don't, I don't understand the value of why you would want to say, okay, thank you for building my lineups. Now, the first lineup I want to play starts at a Sabre score of 95.0 just because. Uh, so I, I, I think typically this comes from like a results-based approach where somebody is like, well, I've been looking at my lineups all season and my number one, my top five lineups have never been my highest scoring lineup. Well, you're comparing your top five lineups. You're saying you're, you're comparing your top five lineups to the other 495 lineups in your pool, right? Just purely based on probability, the other four, one of the other 495 lineups in your pool is almost always likely to outscore the top five lineups at the top. Now, what you really should do is, is if you wanted to be like scientific about that, is take your take your top five lineups and compare them to any random set of five lineups in the pool and see, then see which one is scoring higher on average, right? Um, but anyway, I, what the point I'm trying to make here, 
if there's if there's something I'm missing, let me know. But I don't really think there is a value to artificially just capping your saber score um, at the at the high end. So um, I also I also don't think there is a value to capping your saber score at the bottom end either. Right? You, you can kind of think of your entire pool of lineups as viable. Right? So the 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 saber score is just a relative way of comparing lineups to each other in the build. So if you come down here and like look at like some random lineup all the way down here. Right. You know, this lineup, let's even go further. Right. Like we have a lineup down here that is a Sabre score of 89.3. Right. Like that's saying that this lineup is, you know, it is worse, I guess, than your number one overall Sabre scoring lineup. But just there's no arbitrary line that you could draw and say Sabre lineups with Sabre scores under 90 are bad or lineups with Sabre scores under 85 or 70 or 30 are bad because they're relative calculations that are, are only meant to basically break ties, I would say, and compare lineups to one another, right? That is the healthiest way I can think you can think about your Sabre score is let it break your ties. Do everything else you can think of to add value and make adjustments and, and make, you know, edit to your heart's content in the post build process here in a build and then let Sabre score break your ties. But uh, I think I don't. I think getting wrapped up on the individual number of what that saber score actually says in one direction or the other is is kind of the wrong approach there. So, um, all right, let's get caught up on YouTube chat here. Um, Eamon said, "What's up, Air Jordan? With the stack types in baseball, what's the best approach to getting four three four two four two two stacks in Fanduel without setting the rules? It runs way too slow. Um, that's the best way to do it. I'm afraid." Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind here is, so if you're on FanDuel, uh, you, and you want four stacks and if you want only four, two stacks, um, I have noticed that the more rules you, the more rules you add, the slower it's run that runs. So I think your first inclination would be to go, Hey, I want four, two stacks minimum in every lineup. So you set this, um, I have found personally that this rule is actually unnecessary because this slider correlation slider is still there, right? So basically once you set the rule saying at least four from the same team, SaberSim says, great, we will do that. Uh, and this correlation basically kind of helps to make the other four players in the lineup also get correlated. So you don't end up with very naked four stacks, very many naked four stacks there. Um, so from there though, I mean, it kind of just takes the time it takes to run it. Like I, I don't have an answer of like a, a way to speed that up. Um, I don't think it's too slow personally. Like I having, having done, you know, probably thousands of these, I, I, I don't, I think it's still, you know, pretty reasonably quick. I would say like, give yourself enough time to get your process done is the best advice I can give there. Uh, you know, if it's too slow and it's just not working for you, I would say you can, you know, delete the rules, uh, allow the correlation slider to do a lot of the work for you. Um, but you kind of have to pick one side or the other there. Um, either faster build um, and remove those lineups that you don't want at the end or set the rule and give yourself enough time for the build to complete. Um, you know, it goes without saying we're, we're always in a, in a push to make our builds run faster. Um, it's come a long, long way, uh, especially for, for those listening here that have been using ZaberSim for, uh, two, three years, probably remember like, you know, builds used to take a lot longer there. The the fact that I can basically just like, kind of just like get a build done 500 lineups in like, you know, 20 seconds or something like this on stream isn't, isn't the way it always was. Um, so we, we continue to make those builds run faster and faster, but um, you kind of have to pick your poison a little bit there. So 
Eric said, hey, Jordan, happy Monday. Happy Monday to you too. Eric also said, I only play about six weeks of NFL till NBA starts. I can't follow you there. I I, I'm, I love me some NBA DFS, but I play, I play every NFL slate, every single one. So Marvin said, uh, the slate that comes to mind was the Rams backup tight end of the Super Bowl who landed in the optimal. Yeah. And I think that was an injury thing, right? Um, actually it, it, let's pull that one up because when I'm thinking about this, that was not an injury in that game. If I remember correctly, right. That was like Higby was out, right. I might be wrong. Let's see. I'm now I'm just curious. Now I just want to go look. Okay. Oh, I might be thinking of Uzoma. No, yeah, it was it was Kendall Blanton, right? And he actually scored or something like that, if I remember correctly. So, like, that's kind of the thing. Is like, you know, I, I think it requires a slate to slate research, right? Of like, if you are really, you know, if you're going all in, the reason I say if you're going all in. If you're playing like every showdown on a Sunday, it's I don't think it's realistic unless you spend hours and hours studying to have this pulse on every single game. So this isn't necessarily required. But for something like the Super Bowl, right? If you have time, you know, study the injury report and I, I think see the like study the implications of a given injury, right? And uh Higby was out here, right? So what are what are the potential implications of that, right? Like maybe there is a player here that's that's not projected, uh, that has some you know snap equity, right? that has some potential to get in the game. Um, and looking at that on like, or was it Bryson Hopkins? I might be wrong, right? Oh yeah, it was Bryson Hopkins, right? So like he had some he had some snap equity here, right? Um, in our Sims, he was projected, right? But his, his score of, you know, scoring a touchdown, 8.7 points was essentially, you know, it was like a 98th percentile outcome. So I would say we probably like captured that in the Sims. Um, a player like, uh, you know, Buddy Howell, just as a hypothetical here, had no potential in the simulations to have that outcome. So studying these things, I think, could be can be useful in terms of like, you know, determining if you need exposure to a player or not. Uh, Neil said, I think a lot of people underestimate just how many possible plus EV lineups you can build and get caught on fixating trying to find the best ones. Uh, when you have a pool of 1,500 lineups, it's going to be hard for any specific lineup to be your top lineup. Right, exactly. Yes, you are trying to, you know, that, that this comes up constantly. Um, and I think people sometimes use this as a way to find themselves doubting Sabre score, right? Um, you know, or I think, you know, I remember seeing a message from somebody over the weekend saying, hey, like my top lineup was my lineup like 979. How do I find that in my, how do I get that into my entries, right? Well, if we knew that that was the lineup, that was going to score that many points, it would be easy to get it into your entries, right? The hard part is knowing what one that lineup is. The fact that a good scoring lineup is in your pool period generally means that you played that slate probably pretty sharply. Uh, and we're probably very, very close because there are billions of lineups on, you know, most of these sports main slates and to have a, an elite or a banking score lineup show up in your 1500. It's generally a very good thing. So, um, Daniel said, I've definitely noticed the Sabre scores in the top of builds are never my top lineups, but I have the lineups made, then do some Excel stuff to pick what I'm using. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's kind of the same, it's the same thing, 
right? Like comparing your number one or your top 10 or your top 20 Sabre score lineups to every other lineup in your pool is an unfair game. If you really want to do this scientifically, pick some subset of your top Sabre score lineups and compare them to a random set of the same number of lineups from the rest of your pool and see how those lineups score on average over a long period of time. That's basically how we backtest Sabre score, um, or at least how we par partially how we've done it in the past is comparing, like making sure that on average, a, a two among two equally sized subsets of lineups, the higher Sabre score lineups are performing better. Um, and actually, if you want to take this one step further, if you want to be extremely scientific about it, you actually shouldn't even just look at raw actual score. You should look at expected value or actual ROI, right? Because it is not necessarily true that a lineup that, you know, even if you could, even if you had a crystal ball, right? And you could actually come up with the true average score of a lineup, right? Like what is actually that lineup's true average? A lineup that has a higher average score than another does not necessarily mean that that lineup is better to play, right? Because we're not just trying to find the absolute highest scoring lineups. We're trying to find the best lineups to play in contests played against our peers who are also entering other lineups, right? A lineup that scores on average 160 points and has 200 cumulative ownership per the accumulative ownership, right, may not necessarily be better than a lineup that scores 145 fantasy points on average and has a cumulative 40 40% ownership, right? And that's just one, that's just ownership, right? So that's the other thing I think people also forget is that raw absolute fantasy point scoring is not the end all be all. And it is, and it is not necessarily true that um you know, at the end of the slate, it's like easy to look at your lineups and be like, well, this lineup scored 255 points. Why didn't I get it? Well, it's because that lineup was the two chalkiest pitchers and the two chalkiest stacks and the chalk went nuts. Like you, that lineup didn't show up in your top 20 or whatever for that reason, right? It's hard to win on nights where the chalk goes off because you have to hit everything perfect. And yeah, one of your lineups in your pool of 1500 hit everything perfect or very close, but that was not the what we felt was the highest expected value lineup you could play in that spot. So anyway, I'm rambling here. Let's keep it rolling. Um, Eamon said, how do you remove the lineups at the end? Yeah. So, I mean, if we come over here, go back to our build from today. So um, this is DraftKings. Um, but same process. So this is what your build would look like. You know, we didn't set any rules for this build, right? So we could come over to our stacks. Um, and, you know, let's say hypothetically that we, on we only wanted to play five stacks, right? We didn't want to play a 4-4. Four -four. You could eliminate. Let's actually, let me just show you. Whoops. Oh, let's go back. Moving too quickly here. I'll just do this on FanDuel because it'll be easier. Did I build lineups on FanDuel? I don't even remember doing that. I guess I did. Okay, so now we have a FanDuel build. Okay, so this is our FanDuel build. So you could come over here. Wait, what is going on? That was weird. Okay, my apologies. Getting confused here. So you can build your lineups. We have no rule set, right? We're not saying we want a four stack. We build this. 
and you can remove the stacking types that you don't want after the build has been complete, right? Because we're not just building 20 lineups, we're building 500. So we can basically, this 500 set of lineups will have a wide variety of different stack types. There'll be some 4-4s, some 4-3s, some 3-3-2s, some 3-2-2s, probably even smaller stacks than that. We can just eliminate those lineups at the end, right? As an alternative to setting the stacking rule saying at least four. I think setting the stacking rule saying at least four is still best practice, but in, in the interest of making the build run faster, especially if you're short on time, you could do it this way. So we could do three, three, two, right? I don't want to play that stack type zero max exposure. It takes a second to kind of reload. And now you have zero exposure to three, three, twos, right? Same thing here, three, two, two, zero max exposure. Now you have zero exposure there. So Eamon says, I see, I, I see that I hit zero max and they're still there. Yeah. I mean, they'll still show up in the list and you'll still see them that they're there in your pool but your exposure in your set of 20 should have gone to zero. So. Um, looks like some Super Bowl reminiscing here. Yeah, I remember it now. Blanton, Blanton was starting for Higby and Bryson caught the touchdown and I think was optimal at 200 salary, but I could be wrong. Josh says he thought Hopkins was the starter. Yeah, I, I can't remember. But anyway, the, the point the point here, though, specifically about showdown is like capturing what is likely to... So an injury to a key player inherently makes a situation very uncertain right? Very cloudy. And we will attempt to see through the clouds, see through the fog and project what is going to happen. And in certain situations, you have more information to do that than others, right? If it's maybe not a very recent injury or it's an injury that has happened before, right? Uh, and we have some sense of how a team plays with a key player injured, right? Sometimes you don't though. Sometimes you have, sometimes it is the very first game, uh, for it is a it is the very first game after a key player has gotten injured or something like that, right? And you you don't know, so I think that is one of the higher leverage spots to make adjustments. But it is not there's not a, a framework, there's not a a flowchart that I can hand to somebody and say this is how you project a team, or this is how you adjust projections for a team after a key player has gotten injured, right? Um, I would say just in general, when you have situations that are basically, you know, kind of cloudy, highly variant, things like that, uh, I, I typically, I like to play in a way that lets, lets variance be on my side, right? And I think what I mean by that is a lot of times you'll see in these situations where people uh, rush to assume that a certain outcome, right, or a certain uh, situation is inevitable based on, you know, the injury, right? That, oh yes, key player is out. Clearly new player occupies that role. And if ownership gets out of control in that way, it's an opportunity, I think, to just, to just be different because the situation is, is less clear than, 
than it seems. And I mean, the other thing too, and this is kind of getting more into like the metagame of DFS is that, you know, SaberSim included, right? When, when something happens and a, and you know, something has changed, this doesn't have to even just be injuries, right? This can be a coach, a new coach, right? A coach gets fired and new coach steps in and says, Hey, we're getting back to running the ball, right? Well, like, what does that mean? How much are you going to run the ball? Do you even mean that or a trade, right? A player gets traded and uh, you know, what, what does that mean? There, there can sometimes be a bit of a positive feedback loop in the DFS industry, like in the DFS space where, you know, different sites look at each other and kind of rely on each other and backstop each other. And you can get this positive feedback loop where like nobody necessarily wants to be the guy or the site saying the thing that's completely opposite to what everybody else thinks, right? And that that leads to, I think, ownership and narratives to spin in a certain direction. Um, I was looking to kind of try to find one here. I can't like off the top of my head. I know we're kicking around the Super Bowl and then that's a fine example, but it's not the most exciting example. Um, but there's other situations here. Um, you know, I guess this is a decent example. I don't know if this is the perfect example, right? But, you know, Joe Mixon has a questionable tab tag for this random uh, Thursday night football game from last year. I remember this game too, actually. Um, I don't know if he was actually questionable going into the game or was questionable after the game or what. But, you know, let's assume that he's questionable and it's the first time he's been questionable this season and there's uncertainty about who's going to get his snaps if he doesn't play. Uh, and maybe, you know, the field is slowly, slowly, slowly pushing in the direction that it's Samaj P. Ryan throughout the week, right? And you end up in a situation where Samaj P. Ryan, by, by the time this game is going to get played, is projected for 13 points and at 4,500, his ownership in a showdown contest is like 60, right? And Chris Evans is projected for 3.72. Right. Well, sure. I mean, that, that could be what happens, but this is a, a, a highly variant situation, a naturally cloudy situation. Uh, and I don't, and, and the projections, when you look at projections, they're, they're almost kind of saying, if this is right, if this way of thinking about the snap counts and the rushes are correct, then that's the average projection, but it ignores the possibility that there is just a core assumption that is totally wrong. And that core assumption is that Samaj P. Ryan's starting or playing your as a three down bat back in this particular situation. So I think, I think in situations where there is that murkiness, there's an opportunity there. There there's, there's some, there's some uncertainty. So. Uh, Marvin said injuries are definitely tough. So I don't include that in my process, but I think the better edge might be in NBA games where players get extended run and Kevon Looney, like the NBA finals. Yeah. I mean, so that's another good example, right? There's, there's plenty of opportunities to, to kind of think about this. So another good example I think is in, is in NBA and particularly showdown games in the NBA playoffs, where over the course of the series, a coach will make adjustments and they will make adjustments. It is not in the coach's best interest to forecast their own adjustment, Right. If you're down 0-2 and you're heading back home for the first game you're playing on your own home court, it is not in the coach's best interest to just come out to the media and say, hey, uh, we're now going to adjust exactly in this way to, to match up against this particular team that way, right? Because it's a chess game. It's, they're trying to win the game, right? But a lot of times you, you'll, you'll get no warning about that, right? Like, you know, over the course of a regular season, you get an idea of what regular season rotations look like and how players play. And uh, I think sometimes you can tell that a situation, you know, a player slowly starting to get more run uh, might be forecasted by other games from the regular season. But the NBA playoffs, it moves very quickly. So, uh, or at the start of a new series, 
right? Um, how are two how are two new teams going to match up against each other? Well, you know, the Warriors are playing a team um, that, you know, likes to play big. And now all of a sudden, Kevon Looney is going to get more opportunities in that game, right? Like those kinds of things, I think, can also be a good opportunity to, to make some adjustments and add some value there. So Daniel said, if you look at players in a build and then it shows exposures with that player, if you adjust the exposures of some players from 20 exposure to 10, will that change your whole pool exposure to 10 or just if you look, oh, I see what you're saying. I, you're, you're, you're talking about the filters. Uh, at the moment, you are, your exposures are across your entire pool, not just your filtered lineups. Um, so if you're in here and you say, I don't know why that message keeps showing up. It's kind of weird. But so like if you're saying, okay, I want to look at all of my Scherzer lineups and I don't want to play Scherzer you know, if you, actually, never mind. We changed this. So you can't even adjust exposures with filter set anymore for that reason. So we fix that, I guess. This used to confuse people all the time. Uh, in the future, it is our goal to be able to adjust exposures while having filter set. It just ends up being kind of a front end nightmare because then you have this question of like, where do you store that info, right? Like imagine if you spent, sent, you know, you spent like an hour in here adjusting filters and changing exposures within filters and doing all that stuff. How would you even find all of those somewhere? We have to basically, we're going to have to build a new area of the app to like see your filtered exposures so that you could edit them and change them later. Otherwise it's, it would be, it would be almost impossible to ever go find them again. That's kind of the, the front end problem. So um, not that that necessarily interests uh, anybody listening along here, but that's kind of one of the, the main, the main things we have to think about. Um, it's also hard. It's like hard to, to, to match that many specific exposures, but anyway. All right, let's see. Let me make sure I'm not missing any other questions here. Anything else? Any other questions for, for people today here? Um, I don't see any, some continued discussion here about the Super Bowl. Josh says, actually, it wasn't the Super Bowl because the Rams finished with 20 points and Cup and, uh, OBJ both scored touchdowns was the game Higby got hurt in. Interesting. Interesting indeed. I, I mean, uh, the Bryson guy, whatever his name was, Edwards, he scored eight points, at least according to the actual scores in the Super Bowl. But maybe that was just on raw yardage. I think it was actually on yards. I think you're right. I don't think he scored. Who knows? Who knows? We have new football games to talk about here soon enough. Bills and Rams... Uh, coming up here in, is that three weeks, two weeks, two weeks from Thursday, right? Uh, NFL Sims are close. Very, very close. Looking forward to that too, to start, uh, actually building some lineups for this season. So a fun, a fun, uh, Thursday night game to get the season started off too. Um, this should be a lot of fun for, for a showdown. The the showdown slates that I think are the most enjoyable are the ones where you have teams like this that have just a ton of threats, right? Um, like maybe this isn't the, this isn't that hot of a take, right? Oh, like uh, got guy on stream says uh, when two good football teams play each other, it makes for a better DFS product uh, more at 11. Right. But no, seriously. I mean, I, I, I think these are, I think it'll be a fun game just because there's, there's a lot of different ways 
to build lineups between these two teams, right? There's a diverse, um, I don't know, diverse offensive attacks here uh, that I think it's, it, it makes it fun to build, to build uh, lineups and, it, and it's easy to get unique too. So, but I mean, Dawson Knox wrecked havoc on showdown slates with including the bills last year um, when repeatedly you would have like Josh Allen and Diggs and even the running backs just be like super popular and, and Knox would be like under 10% owned, uh, especially at the captain spot. So anyway, I don't see any other questions coming in. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and begin to wrap up there. Um, thank you everybody that tuned in, uh, hung out here for the past hour. Good luck on the slate tonight. Remember to keep an eye on that weather. Um, and I will be uh, right back here again tomorrow um, for another stream. Marvin says we should do a pregame strategy for show for that game. Yeah, you know, typically a lot of our the content that we do here is is less focused around specific slate strategy. Try to stay a little bit bigger picture. Um, but I think at least on office hours that day, on the daily stream that day, we'll talk a little bit about some strategy. Um, but anyway. Uh, looking forward to it. Good luck on the slate tonight. I will be right back here again tomorrow for another Office Hours, 2 o'clock Eastern. In the meantime, good luck and see you later. See ya.